Good morning. Welcome once again to St. John to our final week of our series, Guideposts. We're looking at the things that God has given to us, that he's left to us, that help us uh, direct, help direct us on our journey, help us find strength in our journey. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online too. Uh, my name is Dion. And actually, when, when I say that, in most cases, um, I've grown accustomed to people responding in one of two ways. When I, when I tell them my name, my name is Dion. Uh, one of them is confusion. It's kind of that look where people are like, come again? What, what was that? Dean? Dan? D- no, no, Dion. It's, you know, it's, it's a name they don't hear every day, and so initially they're not sure that they've heard right. Now, forget ever telling a barista at Starbucks what my name is and actually getting it close on the cup. It's just kind of a game I like to play. What, what are they actually going to write down? And it's always interesting. It's, a, it's, it's fun. You would never, if you're a betting person, you would never make any money off of uh, getting those bets, uh, making those bets. But, um, you know, so, so, so that's me. But, so that's one reaction, right? Confusion. And then the other reaction is disbelief. As uh, I'll introduce myself, hey, my name's Dion. Sometimes people look at me like, Dion, really? As if I'm lying to them. And I don't know if that's because I don't look like a Dion. Maybe they think I'm not soulful enough for that name. Little do they know. <laughs> I got soul. Um, but, you know, so, so growing up that way with, with that kind of reaction to my name, I, I grew a hatred for my name. Uh, and in fact, growing up in the 80s in elementary schools in the 80s, uh, I wanted so badly to be one of the 10,000 Jeffs or Chrises that, uh, that packed our schools in the 80s. Any Jeffs or Chrises here today? Yep, yep, I wanted to be you guys so badly. I just wanted a normal guy's name, and, and I didn't, I had this name, Dion, and, and so, so, man, I, was, I struggled with my name. Now, I'm curious today, how many of you, how many of you feel like your name fits you? How many of you feel like your, your name suits you? Yeah, a bunch of you. In fact, why don't you do this? Why don't you turn to your neighbor, and if they don't know your name, tell them your name, and then just quickly answer yes or no, do you think your name fits? Does it suit you? Go ahead, take a minute and do that. Man alive, I must have struck a nerve with some of you. I've never heard that much uh, interaction here. There's laughter and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I think that means that, that you know, may, maybe you feel me on this, this whole name thing. Now, my last name, my last name is Garrett. Uh, my last name's Garrett, which is a fine name. I, I like the name Garrett, actually. Uh, it's a little confusing for some people what my first name is, and so I get called Garrett just randomly by people all the time. But um, I, I love the name Garrett. What, what I struggled with with my last name wasn't the name itself. It was what the name represented to me. See, my branch of the Garrett family tree isn't exactly a dignified branch. My, uh, my grandpa and his siblings, here's a picture of a bunch of them down here in the bottom corner. They grew up in northern Alabama, uh, this, this poor little community. They, in fact, all the Garretts lived on this, on this uh, little mountain in northern Alabama. And uh, they, most of them were so poor that they couldn't survive there. So they eventually migrated up to outside of Detroit, Michigan to find work in, in the factories there. They moved from the you know, crisp, uh, clear, uh, you know, hilly mountain air of uh, northern Alabama to the oil-filled factories of of Detroit, Michigan and surrounding areas and they, they went in pursuit of a better life and they found it in a lot of ways. But as a result of that, my family wasn't, my, my family wasn't very educated. 
I remember being a kid and um, going along with my parents to this thing. I wasn't even sure what it was. And we showed up at this huge auditorium and it was, it was a graduation ceremony, a night school graduation ceremony where my grandmother was graduating with her GED. And I remember just feeling like proud of her, like what an accomplishment, but also kind of weirded out by that because there are all these young people who are getting their GED and then here's my granny who's walking across the stage. And uh, it, was, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a thing that, you know, I'm not proud about this and I feel differently about it now that, that I kind of felt, I felt a little embarrassed about all of that. Um, also with my family and the Garrett family, there's a, a long history of addiction. We are an addicted people, whether that's substance abuse or an addiction to food or an addiction to approval or the affection of strangers. We got all kinds of problems with that. Uh, and then when it comes to the Garrett family, there's, there's our, our notorious historic um, continual run-ins with the law. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let me just put it this way. For those of you who are in St. Louis, who kind of live here, um, a Garrett would never vote yes on Prop P. <laughs> it's like voting for more indigestion or more cavities or, or something like that. And I mean, so, so it just like, we did not have a good relationship with the police, and so we did not want more police, and, and that was just kind of our thing. And, and I think, I, I think I'm, I'm one of the few Garrett males who have never seen the inside of a jail cell but I'm still young, so there's time. Um, so, uh, so, you know, that, that was another thing is like, man, just like, we did not have a good relationship with the law. And then there were our crazy family gatherings. We'd get together and, you know, not, not affluent people. So we'd pack into like a 900 square foot house, all this extended family. And, and uh, we'd, we'd pack in these houses together and they were boisterous times, but man, all, of that, all of that energy in small space, there'd be these epic blowups and we wouldn't talk to members of our family for a year or two years after those things. We made... National Lampoons seem tame in our family. Um, and so as a kid growing up, you know, I had this first name, Dion, last name, Garrett, and I wrestled with all that. And sure, there were great things that came with this family name. I mean, these are some of the most charismatic people you would ever meet and so musically gifted, all of them just so talented. And so there were great things. But for me, I kind of felt stuck with these, these names that one didn't fit and one probably fit too well, but I just didn't want to admit it. And and then right in the middle of that is, is my middle name, sandwiched between these two names, and I actually love my middle name. I always swore that I would, I would, if I had a son someday, I'd name him what my middle name is, and, and we didn't, but we considered it strongly. My middle name is Thomas. Great name, isn't it? Um, so my middle name is Thomas, and I love that name until one weekend I went to church, it was the week after Easter, and I found out that Thomas was the only disciple who denied the resurrection of Jesus, and in fact, they called him Doubting Thomas, and I thought, oh great, you know, now I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. Now, some of, you, some of you are pregnant in the room. Some of you are pregnant, your family, you're pregnant, you're about to have a baby, you're going through this baby name thing right now, and I just ratcheted up the pressure big time, didn't I? And you're like, oh no, this is big, and, and it is big. Our, our name, it speaks into who we are, or at least we feel like it should. And today I want to talk to you about identity, because identity is a very, very messy thing. As, as we think about identity, it consists of a couple parts. One, of it, uh, one part of our identity is, is our persona. It's, it's the part of who we are that we project to the world around us. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort crafting the picture of ourself that we want to show to the rest of the world, don't we? And that may be rooted in who we are, or it may be a total myth, you know, not, not connected at all, at all to who we really are, but that becomes part of, of, our, of our identity. And then um, along with that is, is our true self, who we actually are. And that's not an easy thing to know. I mean, it may take decades of 
self-examination and self-discovery, to really figure out who we are, who God made us to be, what's inside of us. Or it may take decades of of just getting tired of the fight, of the battle, because maybe you know who you are, but you just do battle with it. You don't like it. Sort of like me with my, my Garrett name. It, it suits me. Well, parts of it do, but, uh, uh, but, but you know, you do battle against it. And, and maybe, maybe for you, it's just one day you're going to get tired of fighting and you're going to look in the mirror and you go, hey, all right, here I am. I'm just going to embrace it. See, whatever the case, identity, it's not an easy thing. It's a messy thing. And if you've ever felt any conflict or tension over your identity, over who you are. Today, I, w- I want to introduce you to our final guidepost in this series because this guidepost, more than any other guidepost that we've talked about, it has the power and the potential to help you with this messy identity thing. It, it has the power and the potential to give you an identity like nothing else, one that you can be proud of, one that you can feel great about, one that you can show to other people and not feel judged by. It, it, is, it is probably more powerful than anything else the Bible describes to help us with our sense of identity. And, and so this final guidepost in our series is the guidepost of baptism. Baptism? Wait a minute. You, you mean when we dress up cute little baby girls in dresses and dress up cute little baby boys in dresses um, and bring them to church and... You know, there's candles and there's godparents and there's lunch afterwards and there's little baby gifts of crosses and tiny little Bibles that no one will ever read that get put in memory boxes for the next few decades. That baptism, yeah. Or some of you are thinking, wait a minute, baptism, the the time when when you're old enough to finally understand what this is all about and you want to make your public profession of faith and so you you tell the pastor that you want to follow Jesus and you want to make a profession of who Jesus is and so he rewards you by by taking you in front of the whole congregation and and takes you over to the baptistry and and he he tries to drown you in front of everyone publicly. Get you all wet, hair, makeup, clothes, all that stuff. Or if you're really lucky, he takes you down to the river um, lucky dogs who've been baptized in the river. Baptism, that baptism? Yeah. See, it's fascinating to me the different traditions, the, the very different traditions that have grown up around this same thing. But see, whatever tradition you're familiar with or more comfortable with, my bet is that few of us, regardless of our tradition, see baptism for the, for, for, for the thing that it can give us in our everyday lives. A lot of us see baptism as you know, a moment of profession, something that has to do with our salvation someday. It means something for, for heaven for us someday. I think few of us see the power of baptism in our everyday lives to help us on our journey, to be a guidepost for us as we move forward. And today, I, I hope I can help you with that. Seeing baptism is not something that's just in your past, not something that has future significance, but something that has daily significance in your life. Because that's how Paul talks about it. In Colossians chapter 2, there are a lot of places in Scripture that talk about baptism. Uh, one we're going to look at today is Colossians chapter 2. You can go to page 1183 here in the room in your Bible if you want to follow along. might be a good thing today. It's a pretty uh, thick, deep part of Scripture, so maybe you want to look around back and forth. We're going to see what Paul says here about baptism, but he doesn't start off talking about it right away. Instead, he kind of begins mid-thought. So Colossians 2, verse 6. says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. I love this, great guidepost language. Look what he says next. He says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, see this is guidepost talk. Do you hear that? 
I love that Paul says right at the beginning, just as you received Christ, it's not a one-time thing, but now continue on in him, rooted, strengthened, built up, overflowing with thankfulness. See, man, man, if I could just help you with this today, for you not to see your faith as like a yes or no thing, like which box do I check on a form? Am I, am I, am I Muslim? Am I Christian? Okay, if you could see it as something deeper, it's not a yes or a no, but if you could see it as, as hey, I'm on a journey, that's how we talk about it here at St. John. We talk about a life journey. That I'm on a life journey and I'm moving along with others, discovering more about God and his plans for me. I'm, I'm discovering more about wholeness. I'm, I'm receiving wholeness in my life. It's not yes or no, in or out, am I saved or not. Instead, instead I, I love the way Paul talks about it here. You've received Christ, that's great. Now continue on, keep taking steps on your journey. He's telling us that this is, this is guidepost stuff that he's going to talk about today. And then he goes on and we discover something else here. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive as you're on this journey. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So we start to get a peek into something that's going on in this this church that Paul's writing to. So he's writing to a group of Christians, a group of believers in the city of Colossae. Colossae is in modern day Turkey near the Mediterranean coast. And uh, as Paul writes here, we start to understand that there's something going on there. There's there's a battle, there's a struggle. And uh, as you dig into it, what you'll discover is, is that this is a struggle over identity. See, in Colossae, there's a battle going on, and and the question is, are you in Christ or are you Jewish? Now, for most people in Colossae, the answer would be yes to both. Because most people who came to Christ first, who received Christ, who who began a relationship with him, they started off as Jewish people. He was the Jewish Messiah. It just made sense. So for most people, like it was, it was, it was, the answer was yes. It was not an either or. And some of you today who have Jewish backgrounds, this is good news for you. You don't have to decide. You don't have to say, am I Jewish or am I in Christ? The answer for you can be yes. That's how it was for everyone at the beginning of the the Christian movement. But then not too long after that that movement began, something started to happen. And there were all these other people, these Greek people, non-Jewish people, who, who came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he died, that he rose again. And for them, they weren't so caught up in the becoming Jewish part. For them, they just, wanted to, they just wanted to be in Christ, which caused controversy. And the controversy revolved primarily around one issue above everything else. There are lots of facets to it, but one issue above everything else, that was the issue of circumcision. Now, see, see way, way back, all the way back to the patriarch Abraham, circumcision was given by God as the defining mark that you were a, a, a Hebrew man, a Jewish man. That was the mark, circumcision. And oh, what a mark that must have been, right? So what a mark that was for them. Can't imagine Abraham being like, you, what? Come again? I mean, as much as you might brand your cattle if you're a farmer or here in the suburbs, you might monogram your water bottle or whatever else you monogram, your car, your laptop. I mean, this was a way of God really marking people and identifying them as his own. And so the way this worked in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, you might, might know this, is that on the eighth day, if you had a son 
And it was uh, sons because lineage was traced through sons. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I know it doesn't seem exactly fair and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if, if you had a son on the eighth day, you would bring him in. And, and there was none of this like, we're going to wait to, for him to get older, to see what he decides for himself. Or we're just going to give him lots of options. And then we're going to let him pick one. And he's going to get to choose who he wants to be or who he wants to believe in or who he wants to follow. No, there was, there was none of that. On the eighth day, if you had a son, you, you brought him in and you got him circumcised. And it was a way of, of marking him. And it was on the eighth day. And this is important. It was on the eighth day because it took six days for God to create the world. On the seventh day, he rested. So a seven-day window of creation. Right? We honor God as, as a creator for the first seven days. But it was on the eighth day as, as a sign of recreation. That on the eighth day, God is doing something new. He's beginning a new work. A work of recreation. A work of redemption. It was a different kind of covenant. And so on the eighth day, man, you brought your son in. And in a, in a very definitive way, you marked him. And, and in so doing, what you, were, what you were giving him was a sense of identity. He would know for the rest of his life who he was, that he belonged to Yahweh. That was the personal name that God gave his people to call him in the Old Testament. He, he would know that he belonged to Yahweh. That, that he belonged to the family of God. It's this great gift of identity. But here's what happened along the way, like so often happens to us even today, people lost the intention. They lost sight of the intention for circumcision. And some started to see it not as God giving us the blessing of identity, of, of claiming us, of marking us, of saying, hey, you're mine. You need to know who you are and whose you are. But people started to see it as an act of obedience. So they started to see it as, hey, if you want to prove that you are devout, if you, you want to prove that you, man, you are all in, you are hardcore, you're, man, then you got to be circumcised. If you want to prove that you're willing to sacrifice big things in the name of God, then you got to be circumcised. And it became more about human action and what we were willing to do and our, to go to radical extremes and, and, and to prove our devoutness, our faithfulness, or our commitment, then it became... Uh, what it was meant to be, this gift of identity that God gives to us. And so that's what's going on in Colossae, uh, this, this battle over, over identity. And I want you to see how Paul, a guy who was circumcised, a Jewish man, um, I, I want you to see how he begins to unravel this. He says, for in Christ, right? Remember the question? Are you Jewish are you in Christ? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I, I love this. You've been brought to fullness. Pa- Paul makes it so clear to the Colossian Christians. I want to make it clear here that what is this ultimately about for us, this journey that we're on? It's about being, becoming a better person and becoming more moral and following the commandments and showing up to church and raising your kids the right way, giving them a moral framework for life, uh, proving commitment, proving obedience. Maybe. But what is it ultimately about for Paul? And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness. And if, if you come around here often, you, you hear us talking about this over and over and over again. What is this journey all about? It's about fullness. It's about wholeness. It's about abundance. It's what it's been about since the beginning of time when God created us. It's, it's, it's all about us discovering the fullness, the wholeness that God has for us that comes through a relationship 
with him. All that other stuff has got its place, but, but that's not what it's ultimately about. It's ultimately about this. It's about fullness. Don't ever, don't ever get that wrong. And, and if, if you take anything from today, take this from today, that what God wants for you is fullness. And if you come here, if you're streaming for any other reason, because you're trying to prove that you're a good person or you're trying to win favor with God or anything else, just, just uproot that thing and put this in its place that, that God wants to bring you to fullness. And not only that, Paul says, but, but how does God do that? Is it through some human tradition like circumcision? Is it through some elemental spiritual force or whatever that language was? No, he says, how do you get fullness? You get it in Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It has happened for you. He is the head over every power and authority. He goes on, he says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, not everyone in this room is a Bible scholar and that's okay, you don't have to be. But for those of you who know your Bible really well, who especially know the gospels pretty well, let me ask you, do you remember, do you remember that time when Jesus, when he went out into the field and he was teaching people and then he just started circumcising everybody? Remember that? Remember that time? Come on, what about this? Do you remember the time where Jesus loaded up all of his disciples into the 15-passenger church van? And they drove up to Colossae. And they went up to Colossae and they, um, and they, and they showed up there and they, they, did, they did a mobile circumcision clinic for all of those Greek. You remember that? That was awesome, wasn't it? You, you remember that? Yeah, for those of you who are kind of on the outs here, it didn't happen, okay? So, so Paul here is talking about, hey, all this stuff, you're given fullness, and, and when you were circumcised by Christ, when did Jesus circumcise anyone? We've got no record of that ever happening in Scripture. So what on earth is he talking about? He'll explain it. He's talking about circumcision in a different way, and here's what he says. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. See, he's talking about circumcision at first because that's where everyone's mind is. But Paul starts talking about this new circumcision. What is this new circumcision? He says it's baptism. And, and how do we get our hands on the fullness of Christ? It's baptism. In fact, how do we begin to live our lives in Christ? It's baptism. Uh, baptism in which you were also raised, he says, um, you were buried, you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He canceled that. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them. I love this. It's kind of a reversal, right? Jesus was on a cross. We're going to experience that this week. He was being mocked by people. He was made a public spectacle in his crucifixion. Paul reverses it here. He says, he made a public spectacle of, of powers and authorities and, and, uh, and all of those things. He, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, see, what is Paul saying to these Colossian people who are all caught up in this identity struggle of, of man, are you in Christ or are you, are you Jewish? And, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
there's something new. There's a new circumcision. There's, there's a new covenant that God has given to us, and that comes to us through baptism. Now, throughout the scriptures, you can read a lot of things about baptism. Uh, you, you can read in First Peter that baptism saves us. I mean, it says it in plain language. If you struggle with that, just go study that. Please write that verse down, First Peter 3, 21. Uh, in Galatians, it talks about how in baptism we are adopted into the family of God. And it even says this, that we are clothed in the perfection of Christ in our baptism. And, you know, that's why, that's why babies wear those white gowns, not because they're innocent or blameless, but because in baptism they're being clothed in the perfection of Christ. That's what the scriptures say. It's a powerful metaphor. Uh, there's a lot that we could say about baptism, and I can't teach it all. Here's what I want to do. I want to stick to what Paul actually said about it in Colossians 2, just in that section of scripture. See, what Paul is saying is, is first that baptism is a burial. You can look back through that, but do you remember that phrase? He said, you've been buried with him in baptism. See, how many of us think of our baptism as our burial? As, as our death to sin? As a way that we can put off the old flesh, not just once, but every day? as the end to our sinful self. How many of us feel frustrated? You, know, you live life and, 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 and you try to do your best and yet you keep getting hung up on the same things, the same struggles, the same forms of brokenness. And you just, you just get so sick of yourself. Do you ever feel that way? Tell me I'm not alone. What does Paul say? Paul says that in baptism we've been buried. It's, it's our burial that, that those things about us that we hate, those things that we can't seem to get over, the things we can't seem to get victory over in a very real way, in an eternal way, from a divine perspective, we're dead to those things. And not only that, baptism is also a resurrection. So we, we're buried with Christ, but we're also raised with Christ. When does eternal life begin for us? When I die, when Jesus comes and takes me to heaven, and no. Eternal life begins when we are, we are buried with Christ in baptism and we are raised again to new life. That, that's when life begins, and it's a life that's so powerful that death can't stop it, death can't, can't put it out. Uh, Jesus described it as a fountain of life welling up in us to eternal life. It's that significant. It's a kind of life that begins today and it goes on forever. So baptism is a burial. It's a resurrection. Ultimately, baptism is my union with the cross in the empty tomb. Uh, in the ancient church, if you were coming into the faith, if you wanted to be baptized as, as a, a Christ follower, do you know when, when they would ultimately baptize you? They, they would go through this period of instruction and then the baptisms would happen. Do you know when? At Easter or on the Saturday before Easter. Why? Because they understood this truth that baptism was my personal union with the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus died 2,000 years ago and he did it for the whole world and it's an offer, an invitation that he gives to everyone. But how does that, how does that become real for me? How does his death become my death? How does his resurrection life become my life? How do I die to myself? How, how do I live to God? See, in baptism, I am joined with the work of the cross. And my sins are, are nailed to the cross. They're taken away. Uh, and more than that, I'm joined with the empty tomb. I'm brought to new life. It's a forgiveness of my sins. Baptism is. Paul talked about it 
having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Uh, In Mark 16, it says that baptism is for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, But ultimately, what I want to talk about today is I want to go back to where we started. Uh, Paul says really clearly here that baptism is my new identity. See, that's what I think makes it so powerful. All those things do, but I think that's what makes it so powerful, uh, so powerful for daily living. That in baptism, I have a new identity. See, go back to the church at Colossae. The question for them was, are you Jewish enough? And how Jewish do you have to be in order to have God love you? How Jewish do you have to be in order to belong? How Jewish do you have to be in order to fit in, to be valued, to be loved? What, what kind of outlandish things do you have to do to prove yourself worthy of the love of God and ultimately salvation? And that's an important question. And it's a question I believe we ask all the time. I hear people asking it all the time about their relationship with God. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to make myself lovable to God? What does God expect of me? What do I, what do I have to do to prove myself worthy of God's affection, to, to get to heaven someday? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? But we don't just ask that question with God. We ask that question in all of our relationships, don't we? Most of us go through life with this, with this giant checklist that someone else created for us and they handed it to us and we just kind of work the checklist of all the things that we believe we have to do in order to be lovable, in order to be worthy, in order to belong. And so I, I got to drive this car and I got to wear these kinds of clothes, dress in this way, and I've got to have this kind of body type and I've got to join this sorority. I've, I've got to make this team. I've got to play this sport or do this extracurricular activity. I've got to date this girl. I've got to live in this zip code. I've got to, I've, I've, I've got to drink out of this brand of thermal cup, not the other brand, this brand, because this is the brand that everyone drinks from. I'm not kidding. It's everything, right? We have this checklist in life that we go through, and it's, man, it is, it is so oppressive. And Jesus wants you to be free from that. Do you know that? Jesus wants you to be free from all of that. That's the issue in Colossae. All of these requirements that it takes to prove that you're Jewish before you can be lovable to God. Jesus wants you to be free from that that checklist to belonging and worthiness. He wants you to know that that he did everything required to make you lovable, to, to give you belonging, to make you worthy. And in baptism, he wants to give you those gifts. He wants to bestow on you belonging and love and worthiness and identity, all of those things. And, and it's a kind of identity that comes from outside of you. It's, it's bestowed on you. It's given to you. It's not something you have to hustle for. It's not something you have to earn. It's not yours to win or lose, to earn or to keep. And that's so important. Because in every other relationship, we feel like we have to, right? We have to earn it, we have to keep it, we have to, we have to maintain people's approval over us. And yet, man, if, you, if you've got a kid in your life, if you're a parent, if you're an aunt or an uncle, if you're a big brother or sister, if you've got a, if you've got a little kid, you know, growing up in elementary school or maybe middle school, because it's the worst in middle school, people say, man, I wish I was a kid again. I would never want to be a kid again. It's painful to be a kid. Um, you know, like you see them struggling uh, and just beginning to believe this story, this narrative, that in order to be lovable, in order to fit in, in order to be someone, that they've got to twist themselves, they've got to contort themselves, they've got to hustle 
in order to be someone who is lovable, someone who is worthy, someone who fits in, someone who belongs. And, and I know that as parents, there's nothing, even, even though you struggle with it, there's nothing that breaks your heart more. And isn't this what we want for all, the, all those kids in our lives? We want, we want for them to just know who they are and to be okay with it. And, and we want for them, more than that, we want for them to find a community of people a group of friends, someday as they get older, a, a husband or a wife or, or some best friends, some people who will not make them hustle for their worthiness and who will not handle, hand them a big giant checklist and a clipboard and say, once you meet these 18 criteria, then, then, then you can be a part of our group. But, but don't we want for them, don't we want for them to, to just to find a community of people who will embrace them and will love them as they are where they don't have to work and they don't have to hustle and they don't have to contort and they don't have to play twister to become something they're not. Isn't that what we want for them? Do you also want that for yourself? We do a lot of baptisms here and I'm so grateful for that and we baptize people of all ages and we baptize them in all kinds of ways. If we had a river out back, we would do that. I, I, it, would be, it would be great. And I, I don't have a problem with any of that. I remember a few months ago, though, I was baptizing a little baby girl. And uh, she's only a few weeks, maybe a few months old. Uh, and I'm holding her in the football hold. Someone said, you make me nervous the way you hold those babies. And I was like, get them by the head. They're not going anywhere, right? So I'm holding her in the football hold. just right over there, kind of over the, over the baptismal font. Uh, and I'm looking at this baby, and, and she, is, she is a beautiful baby. I was just so smitten with her. Just, I mean, I love babies, but just a beautiful baby. And I, I looked up at her parents, and, and I could see right away why she's so beautiful, because she has gorgeous parents. And so I'm looking at her family, and I'm just saying, man, this is, this is a beautiful, beautiful family. And so, you know, I'm, I'm doing this baptism, and suddenly as I look at this beautiful little girl, and I imagine her life, something in me just started to break. My heart started to break a little bit for her. I started to think, so what happens if, this little girl, what happens if she grows up and she buys into the message of our culture, especially on women, that the most important thing in all of the world is to be beautiful, to be put together, to be beautiful, to be skinny, you know. What if she grows up and she believes that's the most important thing for her to do. What, what if she believes, and she's going to grow into a beautiful woman. I believe it. I see it. It's in her parents. It's in her genes. It's just going to happen. But what if she grows up and she begins to believe that her beauty is the key to her belonging? Her beauty is required for her worthiness, for her being acceptable, for her fitting in. What if right now she's being claimed by God as a daughter of God in baptism? And what if someday she takes this thing that God has done for her and she sets it aside and she thinks it's more important to be pretty and that's the only way she can be lovable? Some of you think I'm a sap, but my heart just broke. And, uh, and as I prayed over her after the baptism, I just, I just felt like the spirit of God um, in a way that I've not felt in a baptism for a long time, just, just inspiring me to pray over this child. And I began to pray that above all, 
more than being beautiful, more than being skinny, more than, more than being smart, more than being successful, a great career woman, a great mom, more than, more than being, uh, you know, whatever else, an athlete, that, that this girl would know that she's a daughter of God. And that all of those other things, they could be a part of her life, but they would not have the centermost place. They would not, they would not be that big rock on the bottom of the foundation that, that she would know her identity as a daughter of God and that that would become foundational to who she is. See, that's what God wants for us. And uh, his heart breaks whenever we think it's about something else. Being beautiful, being skinny, being rich, being powerful, being athletic, being smart, being the person who walks into a room and the whole room just lights up and everyone knows your name and everyone loves you, of of being generous, of, of whatever it is, even good things. The Father's heart breaks when you think those things are required to find love and belonging and worthiness because he's given you something greater. He's given you fullness, all the fullness of himself that lived in Christ, it now lives in you and all the belonging and value, it lives in you through your baptism. And unlike circumcision, it's for men and women. And it's not about your sacrifice, it's about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's not your blood that's required, it's his blood. And, and it's deeper than flesh, it, it's a circumcision, it's, it's a renewal of our hearts, of our very spirits, of our very being. So today, we're on the doorstep of Holy Week. And this week, oh man, I, I hope you show up, I hope you come to the prayer labyrinth, I hope you come to In, in the Red, and um, I hope you remember what Jesus does, but I hope this week you also are able to remember what it was all for that Jesus died a gruesome death on the cross and came back to new resurrection life so that you could die and so that you could live again as a new person, as a son, as a daughter of the Most High God. And so here's what we're gonna do. Um, in just a minute, I'm gonna be done talking and I'm gonna come take my place. And for a second, if you come around here often, it's gonna feel like we're about to do communion. Someone's gonna come and they're gonna invite you to come forward. And uh, instead of communion though, there are gonna be people standing at the heads of the aisles and also up in the balcony. And uh, if you want to, you can stay in your seat. It's okay, you don't have to come forward. But if you want to, you'll have the opportunity to come forward and you're just gonna be marked with some water with the sign of the cross. Now, if you're, if you're at home or in an airport somewhere on live stream, here's your chance right now. Go get some water. Doesn't matter what kind it is. Just go get some. You can do this with people you're with or you can do this to yourself. Really, I mean it. It's important that you do this. So go get some water. So we're gonna, we're gonna mark you with just the sign of the cross and it's not a sacrament. It's nothing crazy. It's just a reminder of the identity that you've been given in baptism. And we're gonna speak over you the words, you belong to Jesus. And what I hope that does for you is, is I hope that does more than just kind of like compute in your brain somewhere. But I hope that gives you a renewed sense of who you are. And I hope that that impacts the way you get up in the morning tomorrow and look in the mirror and 
and how you see yourself at the end of the day and the things that you're proud about and things you're not, I hope that radically changes the way you see every moment of your life that you belong to Jesus. You're his. And you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You don't have to hustle for your worthiness. It is given to you through your baptism. So if you want to come forward and receive that, just a simple reminder and a statement of belonging. Our volunteers will direct you forward to do that in a minute. Now, here's the thing. I know that some of you, you've not actually ever been baptized. And you're wrestling with that and maybe trying to find the right time or the right moment. Maybe, maybe today can be your moment or maybe today can be a next step in your conversation. So over here at the doors, I see uh, Brent over there. Brent, will you kind of wave? Um, if, if you're someone who just wants to find out more about baptism, if, if you want today to be your day or if you want today to be another step forward toward that day, if you're just ready to claim this identity, if you are tired for hustling, tired of hustling, and you want to be given a new identity, just go talk to Brent. See, you belong. And what happened to you in your baptism, what will happen to you in your baptism, is far more than a one-time historic thing. It is an opportunity to change every step you take, the way you see every step of your life as you move forward to life that is truly life.